I can take somebody who's a world-class jujitsu or a tier one operator and put them in drills where the answer they memorize doesn't solve the problem anymore because real violence, real confrontations and real life is fluid. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. We've got a shift of topics after our past few weeks have been with some showbiz folks. Those conversations are fascinating, and I highly recommend them. But today's episode could literally save your life. With me today is top self-defense expert, Tony Blauer. His image has been gracing the covers of martial arts and self-defense magazines for decades. He teaches tier one operators. He is a big deal in that world. And yet, the reason I wanted to sit down with Tony for 10,000 No's is that his system and the way he articulates it is so personal, practical, and applicable to each and every one of us. Contrary to the stereotype that a tough guy would go around bullying people, Tony believes that violence and his own application of violence should be avoided at all costs. But the area he really cares about is the one that could save your life or that of your loved ones. I was lucky enough to attend one of his workshops and it was mind blowing and in many ways actually not too far off the way I approach acting. His mind works in a way that when you hear this conversation, it will not only make you more aware of your surroundings, but also more aware of your relationship to fear in all areas of your life, not just in regard to violence and your physical safety. He's joined by his wife, Jesse, who peppers our conversation occasionally. I didn't have a mic for Jesse, but after seeing their semi-comedy act during the workshop, I thought it was worth having her perspective in the room. I encourage you all to not only listen, but following the episode to check out the links in the show notes and to get to know Tony's work in more detail and possibly even arrange to have him come to your community at some point. It could be the difference between life and death. Here he is, Tony Blauer. When I bump into someone, they go, oh, what do you do? I go, I teach self-defense. And then others like, okay, yeah, I did self-defense. I took Taekwondo. I took, you know, karate. I do jujitsu and, and, and it's over. I do way more than teach self-defense. I mostly work with military and law enforcement. And we teach defensive tactics and combatives. And we teach extreme close quarter scenarios, like really how to, how to survive a very violent encounter. And, and so we have three verticals in our company. One is working with, you know, uh, the first responders and the protectors and people who keep, you know, our cities and countries safe. Then we have another, uh, division that works specifically with, uh, self-defense and martial artists, people who want to teach, uh, our research. And I say our research because we approach the art and science of understanding personal safety completely differently. And then I got a third uh, uh, division where we work with the general public. And we have a course called Bureau and Bodyguard. And, uh, and 
and those are really the three things we do. However, as I continue to dig deeper and and uh, very much like you, uh, I, I'm an artist. I don't do this for the money. I If there was no money in the world, I would still be doing this. It's what I think about when I dream. It's what I think about when I wake up. And uh, the epiphanies and and insights that I've gained, and I've been doing this now for 43 years is how long I've been teaching. So I'm 58 and I've been involved coaching people, trying to understand uh, uh, you know, violence and self-defense for decades. And that journey has revealed where I'm at right now is that everything, every decision we make is intrinsically connected to our relationship with fear, the psychology of fear and understanding that. And that's really what I want, what I do is our, my bias because of my, my life has been self-defense and what people perceive as that. Right. But the relationship evolves where I get to look at them. I go, now you understand how to look at fear and you can apply that to your relationship, your parenting, what job you do, where, yeah. where you live. That's well, that's the big what thing. I was so taken with uh, at your presentation was, you know, I wouldn't have, I, I would have thought, okay, cool. I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to learn something that's going to help me. I'm going to have a tool. I did not expect what happened, which was you spoke and it was about, so much more than self-defense. Self-defense just happened to be the backdrop within which you were talking about life. And that's what I dug about it because I thought, man, there's so many applications. And that's what I think, you know, I, I think we got lucky that we had scheduled this a long time ago and then I happened to get to see you present the other day because I got to physically do some of the things that you, you teach, but also it, it made me think, oh, this is so applicable to people that are listening to this show in particular. They may not be thinking about self-defense. I have a feeling after hearing you talk, they're going to think a little bit differently because I'll tell you, when I walk my dog, I think differently now after talking to you and hearing you talk. When I open my door, I think differently. It's it's. It's pretty amazing. It's it's and and I appreciate that and I'm, and I'm happy for you. It's uh, a lot of it is like people don't know how to think about self defense. And one of my favorite stories, and I got a bunch of little stories about it, is is I was actually I we grew up on the East Coast. I lived in in Canada most of my life. Moved to the states in like 2008. Uh, Virginia Beach, and then moved out here in 2010. But I was coming back on a red eye flight on a frequent trip to LA. This is where all this is like the mecca for martial arts. So all the magazines that I've been involved with, you know, inside karate, inside kung fu, black belt magazine, all that stuff, that was out here. So I'd, I'd come here every year for stuff since 1980. And uh, I was coming back on a on a red eye flight. I'm a voracious reader. This was back in the day where, you know, I don't know if you remember, this will date me, uh, you know, Walkman. Oh, yeah. You know, right, you know, like headphones and a little disc. And and there was no iPad or, or Kindle. And, you know, I had like three or four books because I'm always, you know, reading all these different different things. And I had them out and there was the seat was empty beside me. I was so excited. And I had these books out there. My Walkman's out there and they're about to close the door. I'm looking at my watch. I'm going, okay, yes, yes. And all of a sudden... A uh, flight attendant, not working the flight, comes running in. She's like glistening in sweat. She's still got her uniform on. And she points at the seat beside me and she says, that's my seat. And I 
took all this stuff and I'm building this up because I'm like, ah, you know, like a little frustrated. And, you know, it's 11.55 and she's like, oh my God, I thought I was going to miss the flight and this isn't my my hub and I would have had to get out. And she's like, chatty, 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 all adrenalized. And I'm like trying to fall asleep. And we start to taxi and she says, so what do you do? I'm a flight attendant. You can tell. And she points to her name tag and all that. And I'm thinking... Okay, we're taxing on a runway, about to take off. What can I tell her that will just kill this conversation? <laughs> and I go, I'm a, a life insurance salesman. And she kind of looks me up and down and she says, no, you're not. I can tell. Seriously, what do you do? And I said, okay, I'm a life extension insurance salesman. And she goes, life extension insurance? What is that? I said, I teach self-defense. You know, it's kind of like a little joke I make. I help people extend their life when they're about to get murdered, you know? And she looks at me and, and she goes, oh my God, I always wanted to learn how to defend myself. And I immediately say to her, no, you didn't. Thinking, okay, like this conversation is getting longer. It should be getting shorter. I don't want to talk. I want to go to sleep. Right, right. And uh, she goes, uh, I always wanted to learn to defend myself. I go, no, you didn't. Thinking like that will just hmm, screw this guy, right? And she goes, why would you say that? What do you mean? And I said, well, people who always want to do things, do them. I think what you meant to say is you always wanted to know how to never be near a situation where you might have to defend yourself. And she goes, you can see her eyes bobbing around as she decodes that and goes, oh my God, yes. And this turned into like a three hour mini seminar that I gave her for free because we just started talking at that point. And that's the thing is people don't want to learn how to defend themselves. They want to understand how to never be near a situation where they might have to defend themselves. And that requires a whole new definition and a whole new way to look at things. So when you say, when I walk my dog, I think a little bit differently. When I open my door, I think a little bit. What you're doing actually is you're just inserting a, a mindset before you do something that doesn't make you more paranoid. It makes you more prepared and that improves your perception speed, which decreases your reaction time where you go, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pause and just listen. Do I hear any footsteps? Is there anyone around me? And it doesn't even have to be a bad guy. It could just, you know, simply be like, why should we be startled? We've all been yeah. like, you know, so uh, it, it, it's very like confusing to me how, Many people avoid exploring this because all it does is make you safer. Like everything about this, every if we had a seance for every person that was the the victim of a violent act and didn't make it through that, and we said, hey, you know, like, hey, sorry this happened to you. We're meeting in a seance, but like if you can go back in time, would you like to improve your situational awareness so you weren't there when this happened? What do you think they'd all say? Yeah, Fuck absolutely. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Right? So that's the way I, that's the way we look at it. We don't teach people how to fight. We teach them how to not fight by thinking differently. Yeah. You know, you one thing I said to somebody after your presentation the other day was, I, I had asked you a question about, you know, uh, mine was about walking the dog. And, and I was like listening to a podcast while I was walking my dog. And, and it was at night. And I was like, how are you? Are you always on? And essentially the answer was, you know, maybe it's it's more just ingrained in who you are, so you're not thinking about it. But yes, essentially you are aware of your surroundings for the most part all the time. And, and the analogy I gave whoever it was that I was speaking to was, you know, as a result of being an actor, 
I go to the movies and I'm seeing it differently than you are because mm-hmm. I I am noticing, you know, once in a while I get lucky enough that the, the, the movie really sweeps me away and I'm able to lose myself in it. But a lot of times I either recognize an actor that I know or mm-hmm. I recognize where they're shooting or I am, you know, cognizant of a camera angle or a camera move or how they turn the story, whatever it is, sure. because that's just what I do. So that's something that I'm more aware of than say the average, you know, audience member. And and so for you, I thought it was really cool to hear how you process it and how you break it down. It's, it's, it's interesting. And it's the same thing. And that's what we do. Like in our class is like, I call this like the timeline of violence and the blueprint of violence is understand, you know, that there are, there's a chronology to an event when, when, I interview a victim of violence, and that's part of how I built my program, just intuitively talking to people. Uh, A little thing I want to insert here is that when I talk to somebody who's, let's say, a special operations guy who got attacked, or I talk to a, uh, a female who should not have survived her event just because of her, her size or her condition, her background, when I talk to both of them, and, and let's say like some asocial predator was trying to really injure them. Neither one of them said, well, you know, I was seconds away from passing out and I knew if I passed out, I'd be murdered. And so I remembered the that move where you put the thumb on the third metacarpal bone from that ancient, you know, Yang style of Tai Chi. And I, all, th- what I noticed in talking to victims and victors was that the mindset was the switch that each one of them, regardless of the training or the background said, holy shit, this person's trying to kill me. I don't want to die. It was some sort of language like that. And so it didn't matter what the training was or wasn't. It was always the mindset shift. And that mindset shift is connected to situational awareness and managing fear. And so, you know, over, over, uh, you know, three to four decades, the program uh, built itself. So it was reverse engineered through, through like in the Socratic intuitive discussion I'd have where it could be, you know, I'm in the ring sparring with a student and I'm, and, and I was, I'm so, I've always been incredibly introspective. So I go, well, why didn't you do that? And it wasn't like where I would notice other coaches would go, you didn't turn your hip. And I wasn't, I didn't give a shit about the technique. I was like, I would, you know, back in the eighties, I told people, I don't care how you punch. If it's like, cause people go, you know, should I do the Wing Chun vertical fist punch? Should I do a corkscrew punch? Should I do a reverse punch? And I would always answer, I don't care, you know, what the punch is. I care whether you give yourself permission to punch. What's holding you back from making that move. And that became that metaphor, like, mm-hmm. right. What's holding you back from life from saying, hey, we need a divorce. Hey, I want to get married. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so it's, it's. Well, that's what I was just thinking was like, that, that's such a cool thing. And, and I think it's why I responded so well to the way you taught was that it's a mindset shift because you think about anything. And that's why I'm, I'm saying for you on this show, it's like, it, it's for whatever it is. It doesn't have to do, it, it's such a great lesson that the difference between the person who was murdered and the person who you were able to speak to because they defended themselves successfully, even if they were hurt, they're alive right. to talk to you, was the mind sh- the mindset shift, which is just making a decision, which I've talked about on this show all the time. It's like you want to go, you want to start a podcast, make a decision and go start a podcast, right. and then and then then now all of a sudden you're a podcaster. You know, like it's right. it's kind of it's kind of 
simple in a certain way. And I think that's what I appreciated about the way you taught was you you didn't get caught up in the, I'm sure when you're dealing with like tier one operators that you're training, yes, it's, it's getting very sophisticated, but, but for. You'd you'd be surprised, man. I, I, you know, in terms of, you know, the mechanics, like these guys are world-class athletes at that level. I'm still working on their mindset. It's still, you know, and, and it's an unconscious bias that everyone suffers from. And so, you know, the unconscious bias is something I love uh, uh, needling people with online. If I could monetize my haters, I'd be, you know, uber wealthy uh, because the martial arts self-defense community is polarized like religion and, and politics, right? right? And, oh, yeah. Can you explain that? To, like, what are well, people it's, that are hating you? What are they saying? What's the it, gist it? It's, well, you know, from it's things as stupid as, yeah, I've, you've never been in the uh, UFC, so why should we be listening to you? They Because they associate it, like, with a sport, combat, right, type thing. Or or uh, um, the the our approach and our emphasis is so much around the avoiding of the confrontation where it's like, if I say to you, Hey, you want to go see an action movie and you go, yeah, shit, I love action. And then I take us to a Western, but you hate Westerns. Right. And you're like, Oh, this sucks. And I go, I thought you like action. I do, but I hate Westerns. Right. There's this like umbrella where they think everything is self-defense, but it's not. So if you ask a boxer, what would you do if somebody attacked you at an ATM? He go, I hit him with a body shot and then an uppercut. If you ask a Taekwondo expert, and for people who don't know, Taekwondo is predominantly a kicking art. Uh, you know, you ask somebody who focuses on, on Taekwondo, hey, what would you do at the ATM? He'll go, I'll create space and then I can kick the guy. An MMA guy is going to go, I'm going to double leg the guy. And I'm my students, I'm going to go, why, why are you going to this ATM at this time? <laughs> That's what I what, love. What, yeah. what, what is the reason you absolutely need to be at this particular ATM? Because most of them, half of them at night look like awesome places to get mugged. Right. right. You know, they're horrible. And and so that's what I do is and that's what I meant earlier when I said the the uh, uh, the timeline of violence and, the, the you know, just understanding the timeline, but also under, understanding what needs to be in place. And I always make this joke where someone goes, you know, I remember this one guy in a, uh, one of my seminars. So, you know, we you know, obviously we do, we do seminars all over the world. And this guy puts up his hand. He goes, look, man, I don't want to be the contrary. And I just want to say, I'm really digging this stuff. I love this. But one day, you know, many years ago, I got sucker punch. I got hit in the back of the head. And what I had been lecturing on is like, like things just don't happen. Rarely is it. And then all of a sudden this happened. Right. And, and so, you know, you're going to get some massive job one day, another one. And then somebody who doesn't really know your story is going to go, what a lucky bastard, right? And and you're going to go like, what, he just walked into the, you know, he was having a milkshake and, and right. got discovered like old Hollywood, right? And nobody's going to know like, you know, how many auditions you went to and and how many people, you know, were involved in setting up this meeting and, and all of the... And it's, and it's the same thing. There's like all these little things that set up our success when we're walking the dog. Uh, and they don't have to be like disruptive preparation. It's like, it's like a little pause. Can you listen to your podcast with just one headphone in? Right. Right. Can you uh, tell your reticular cortex in your brain, watch my dog because my dog has better uh, 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 auditory in visual and olfactory senses than me. So I'm listening to this podcast, but I'm really telling myself, watch my dog. 
because if my dog alerts on something, then that means, that, that means there's something there. And it could just be a squirrel, you know, yeah. but it could also be a predator. That's also kind of use what you got. You right. know, you got a dog here. Who's, but, <laughs> but yeah, but, yeah. But, but that's the magic of the system that I spent decades creating is I said, we're all human weapons. We're domesticated. That's all. Like there was a time not too long ago where all of us knew how to hunt and gather. And if we didn't, we died. Right. So, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, the, the, you know, like my, my joke when I talk about caveman combatives, it wasn't like, like, oh, there's the caveman karate school that we're going to go to, you know, after, after, you know, we do caveman math, you know, you just learn, you just, you just understood through osmosis and life how, how to survive. And so what I, what I do when I'm teaching people is I'm giving them, I'm reconnecting them to resources that are organic in their body, like the startle flinch response, yeah. understanding instincts and intuition. There's like, you don't, you don't take, there's no app, you know, to improve your, the intuition app, right? You know, right. turn it on, make sure your phone is charged. And it's funny because I, I had a, uh, a Facebook, um, there's a, a cop doing this big project and he's doing this presentation. And he asked me what I thought about the OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. It was created by uh, a, a famous uh, Air Force um, uh, military hero named Boyd. Uh, so observe, orient, decide, act, the OODA loop. And everyone talks about it. And then he was uh, trying to create this correlation between the color codes that Jeff Cooper uh, created, you know, if you're like in, in yellow, you're observe, almost like, like, like a red light, green light type thing, color okay. codes. He said, Hey, Gwyneth, what do you think of the connection? I said, I'm not a fan of either. He's like, he was stunned by that. I said, I think people who are situationally aware are situationally aware. They're not like situationally aware. And then, and then they're stuck and then they go, Oh yeah, I got to go to yellow now. I got to go to red. Or green. Right. You just, you just start moving. And that, that, you use the color codes in the OODA loop forensically post-event and right, nobody's not in the, yeah, in the moment. No, well, yeah, well, that's what you got to tell everybody. Okay. So just, just because it was so clear the way you put this, you talk about the startle flinch. Now right. someone's listening right now. They're like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I want you to explain that and share the story you told about the, um, I think he was a seal that you were, working with, I, I don't know if he was a SEAL. He, he, I don't think you revealed it. It was, right. it, was it was a tier one operator of some sort. Right. Um, and he was a ju- like a world champion jujitsu oh, right. guy. Right. Explain that so people can hear it. I really want people to have this be applicable to their lives. How you, so the startle flinch, if you're listening, is it's basically, you know, something, some loud noise happens or someone comes around the thing, the, the corner and you, you kind of put your your hands go up. Your 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 your. How did you describe it? Your, your fingers splay. Your fingers your, your, splay. Your 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 hands move extend towards the threat to try and try and create space between you and impact. And it's not tough. Like like it's not like a tough looking stance. I mean, it, it looks tougher when you do it, and you kind of like you know train someone how how to use it. But it's it's like the most basic thing, and all of us have it. Well, so. it's it's yeah. So the startle flinch, like, and I and I think you're maybe overthinking this a little bit, Matt, that I think everyone understands they flinch, right? Like you turn around and there's like a, like a spider on your shoulder or on, you know, on the, the furniture near you and you go, huh, like you do that little, yeah, yeah. you know, that micro flinch there. Uh, you know, you're, you're going for uh, a, a walk in the woods and you're 
talking to somebody and you look around and you walk right into a spider web. You know, what do your hands do? They come up right away. You, you start, you know, you know, your hands are gesturing, pushing away imaginary threat. Um, and so I figured out, and it took me over a decade to get like the first iteration of this, how to weaponize the startle flinch. The fastest human response that we can have is going to be our startle flinch. And and this has been corroborated in my talks with, you know, EMS, medical fire, cops over the years where, you know, someone goes through a windshield, you know, without with their seatbelt on, there's always trauma on the hands and forearms. And and so we know that the hands will come up faster than a head can hit, uh, uh, you know, a window. I don't mean to be morbid or graphic here, but just to give people this is visual that the the fastest human response time we have is something that bypasses our executive function, and that's the startle flinch response. So if if right now, uh, you know, uh, you think about stepping on a thumbtack or, or a rock or, or something that really hurt you, how fast you got light, how quickly you jumped off that. You didn't, you cognitively didn't go, oh, there's something penetrating my, I'm my in skin. I'm the yellow zone. Right. Like, <laughs> Let uh, me move to yeah, the red zone. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. And so, you know, I figured out, and, and, and so the, the, the sole function, and this is just layperson's terms, uh, you know, medical terms, they talk about disengaging from noxious stimuli. That's the, like the explanation of the startle flinch. Cross-extension reflex will help you disengage from noxious stimuli. It's, you know, fancy for push away danger um, and cover the command center, cover your head. So you're, you're getting something out of, uh, uh, you know, your closet and you're pulling out a, like a shoe box and then two boxes on top fall. You don't get into a karate kid stance and punch it. Like your hands just come up, right? You cover <laughs> I your, do, personally. You I go, get into the training well, and I, then I swipe well, across I, with, I a, with a chop. Don't believe that. I'd like to see that. We'll set up a kind of like a, a Clouseau Green Hornet uh, or a Pink Panther um, uh, type How skit. But exactly. Um, so... So this, so what happens is your startle flinch is part of your, uh, it's, it's activated by your limbic system, the amygdala, the reptilian brain, and a whole bunch of like, there's a whole bunch of brain components that pick up potential danger. And then because you're, and I always tell people like that your cognitive awareness is always slower than your intuitive awareness, you know? Yeah. So you'll always go, you'll flinch and then go, what was that? Right. You never go, what was that? And then flinch. Right. And so yeah. there's the, and it's really neat to understand that. So I figured out, uh, and I always say this, you know, if this wasn't my company, this is the company I'd work for. Cause it's so fucking cool, you know, <laughs> the, but, it, but it's, it's like, it just makes humans safer. It just makes people safer where they understand like, like every victim of violence who I've spoken to. So every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. And then they all had some sort of micro flinch. And, and then, you know, how they got away from it or whether they were the victim and they just are the dealing with their PTSD of the event. Um, there were a couple of things that were always consistent. And that was the bad feeling. That was intuition instincts. But the person didn't know how to act on them. So it takes a certain amount of courage and insight to go, what do I do if a bad feeling? Right. And and, you know, you said it something earlier when we started talking, which I think is is potent and profound. And that is uh, we get those fear spikes in relationships, in business transactions, 
and they don't have to be violent encounters. And I always tell people, you know, it's part of my part of my shtick, my speech when I'm doing my seminar, is that you know the ability to protect yourself or a loved one is an arguably the single most important skill you could possess. That you would give up your stamp collection, your guitar collection, your all, you know, your money, your house. If somebody said to you, you "Get to keep your material shit," but you lose the most important people, you know, in your life, you know, if you didn't steal that shit, you'd go, you know, fuck no. I'll earn that back. I'll figure it back. But give me my wife and kids back or give me my family back or whatever it is. My dog, I don't care what, whatever is most important thing to you. The other thing that I like to tell people as a bookend to that is that, uh, that fear throttles everything we do from who we marry to who we talk to, to how much money we make, to where we live, to how much weight you lift, to most importantly, whether or not you're going to protect yourself, be the courageous bystander or be your own bodyguard. And and so I use, because I grew up with so much fear and, and, and you know, I grew up in the 60s and, and people still don't talk about this stuff, but like everywhere I went, I thought there was going to be someone going to jump me from around the corner. But it wasn't like this paranoid thing where I was debilitating and, I, you know, wouldn't go outside. It was like this fantasy that was always going on in my mind. And, and were you in a particularly rough area? No, or was it no, just I, grew like up, a- I grew up, uh, uh, you know, middle class. <laughs> And, and, uh, his you know, wife is laughing at him, right? by the way, if, if you can't, she doesn't have a mic, but she's laughing at him. I guess he didn't grow up. In she's, it. uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, it's gotten rougher now that I married her, you know, uh, but, but it's the, the, um, no, it wasn't like, it was, it was, you know, anytime I saw some, a fight on TV, I was like mesmerized by it. I knew that there was something about personal power and self-actualization that was connected to the ability to protect yourself. And, 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 you know, there was just something about that. And it wasn't macho. It was like, like, I want to know what to do. Yeah. I can't think of anything like a more helpless feeling because there's other, listen, think about this. There is only one situation where only you can make something happen. And this is just my, my, my opinion, but, but, but be the contrarian and argue this out. You, if your roof starts to leak, you could call the roofer or you could do it yourself. You got a stomach ache. You're probably going to call a doctor if it persists. You got a toothache. You, you could do your own dental, <laughs> but you're probably going to go to the dentist. Yeah. But if there was sudden violence happening, you don't even have time to dial 911. Yeah. There's only one person in, in, in the moment that you go, oh shit, is that person following me? Oh shit, is like that person trying to get in my house? That guy just grabbed me. That guy's walking towards me. And, you know, uh, so I always say that like, like you're the first responder in your confrontation. Yeah. The, 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 what we think are first responders are actually the second responder, right? And so how do you, change the timeline of violence and the only way to do that and you, I, I didn't I didn't I wanted to share this earlier when you gave the analogy of um how you can't go enjoy a movie unless it's really freaking amazing because yeah. you because you understand how it was put together we don't see the transitions we don't we right. don't like we just go wow did you see that you know um the uh I did some stunt work in a bunch of films years ago and I remember uh the the actor who I'd helped train for the punching actually hit me in the face, like just just nailed me in the face. And the 
director goes, okay, let's do that again. That didn't look real. And I like looked at him. I go, no, no, he actually punched me in the face that time. That was real. By the way, that happened to me too. Right? Yeah, I got punched right in the nose on Hot Pursuit. Yeah. Nice. I, I, it's another story I'll tell for another day. Maybe we'll get to it. But. You're just starting to like drop names of, uh, you know. <laughs> I just dropped my credits. <laughs> just drop, dropping <laughs> credits. Um, what show is it that we watch that you're always doing that? It's so, it's, it's, uh, oh, it's Brian Callen. <laughs> my buddy, Brian. Oh, he's, where, he's been on the show. Oh, I just realized last night I saw you had a video of him and I was like, oh, I don't think Jesse I realized you guys knew. Yeah, yeah, Shout yeah. out to Brian Callen. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a good friend and very, very, very funny. But how he's always, part of his shtick is how he goes, you know, you might, you probably know me from, and then he lists like 30, 30 titles, things, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. um, so in the same way, what I do when I'm training, I don't care if it's a tier one operator or somebody in our one day course is when they understand the substance under the subject, they can never look at it the same. So if I tell somebody, do you know what your reticular activating system is, your RAS? And they're like, no. I said, you don't need to know the brain function and all of this, but think about the day you decided to move and you said, I need to find a new place to rent. You started noticing like rental signs. Yeah. Well, those rental signs were there yesterday, but until you said to your brain, rental signs are important. And that's, so I, I try to teach a lot of, you know, instead of saying, oh, we're, you know, we're teaching uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, neurotransmitter patterning and myelinization, you know, I'll throw the big words in there to get somebody's attention. So somebody's but, like, oh, he, he's yeah. actually schooled. He knows right. what he's talking about. But then I try to, and I always tell people, it's like, you know, we'll use the pedantic language to capture their attention, but then Ernie and Bert need to deliver the content. Yeah. And I and I think that's why I responded because I'm the, the Ern, Ernie Sesame Bert. Street level. Yeah, yeah, I'm the I'm that guy. And and um, oh, but just to, so just give them though because I think this is a great example of where things can be um, even for someone who is a top a, a, a tier one operator where they can even overcomplicate things. Just give that story of like, do you remember it? It was with yeah the, yeah the yeah sure yeah. yeah yeah. So I was. Well, this has to do with what I call the unconscious bias, right? And so I tell people, be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. And that's the, like when I'm dealing with really trained people, their brain has already decided what's right. Why? Because that's how they were trained. That's how they were they were told to do things. So if you're a, uh, uh, you know, an expert like one of the things we do in my in our gunfighting program, which is just available to active duty, right, is we do all these drills where do you shoot by by chance? I have I can chop credits for the movie. Right. <laughs> yes, in three of the well, T V shows and Wind River. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so everyone who is active duty has been told at some point for their years and years and years, never take your shooting hand off your gun. Once, once you draw, once you draw that weapon, you do not take your shooting hand off the gun. So I created a bunch of drills where the only way to successfully solve the, the riddle, the problem of the bad guy is to take your shooting hand off the gun. And, and so it was like a Rubik's cube brain moment where, where I got people through a very Socratic intuitive process where I go, look, 
he's on you here. He's he's got you. Your long gun is out of out of position. Your pistol is jammed against your body. He's got a bear hug on you. The only thing you could do now is release your shooting hand, splay your fingers, get outside ninety, so we get muscle recruitment, which is part of understanding the kinesiology of the start of flinch. So our system is entirely scientific. It's a blend of physiology, physics, and psychology. So, you know, it's now it's not gender specific. It's not task or experience specific. It's just I can take any person, world class or beginner, and make them stronger in minutes by helping them understand. So this is the metaphor that I was doing, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm taking this very circular route to get back to that story that you want me to tell, is that I can take somebody who's a world-class jiu-jitsu or a tier one operator and put them in drills where the answer they memorized doesn't solve the problem anymore because real violence, real confrontations and real life is fluid. And and you can't just go, no, like it's not one times one equals one all the time. You know, it's not math. And so we we create these iterations where, where these solutions are always going to be discovered through the right mindset, not through what you memorized. So it's the difference of like, and, and I'm going to give you a chance to maybe drop some credits or whatever, but, <laughs> but, but as, as a good actor, or let me ask you this more Socratically, has there, are there ever, are there some famous moments in theater, film, or TV where the actor improvised something that blew everyone away and they kept it in there because that was better than what somebody had written three months earlier? Yeah. Very famous story from On the Waterfront with uh, Marlon Brando and Eve Marie Saint. They're walking through uh, a park. They shot it in Hoboken, and um, and and they're talking. And he's he's kind of this like rough around the edges ex boxer, longshoreman, and she's uh, you know she's tough, but she's more um, cultured than he is. And so he's kind of, you know, like this, this baboon with this very, you know, beautiful flower. And he's, and, and as they were shooting it, they, um, she dropped her glove. She has this like little white glove she dropped and Brando, you know, uh, Ilya Kazan did not call cut. Brando squats down, picks it up. They keep going with the scene. And as they're talking, he's just puts, the this delicate little white glove on his big meat hook, you know, little by little, as just like as a throwaway, it's happening while they're talking, and everybody talks about it that it's this incredible moment in film where it says so much about him being this, you know, big right. ape with this delicate flower, and he's trying to fit himself in there, and it doesn't really work, and the story is that they're, you know, they they, it's like a Romeo and Juliet. Right kind of situation. So yeah, yeah, right. yeah, and that's so that's a you know yeah we call it movie magic. It's like basically you want these happy accidents to happen on set, and, then, and that's I mean, that's the genius of Kazan also letting letting letting, letting it go, go right. Yeah. And so the the example and building off of that are that if you you know it's like it's made me think of the line in the movie Life itself, and and uh, is that the name of it? Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to see it. It's fantastic. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, you know, where I was going with this and, 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 uh, you know, try and redirect this and, and captures that, that sometimes you, it's about adaptation 
and improvisation. So I talk about is in our system, we tell people, look, there are three eyes that you need to understand. There's intuition, there's instincts, and there's intelligence. If you use instincts and intuition, whatever you're going to do is going to be intelligent. But you can use intelligence that where you think I've memorized this is the correct answer, something goes wrong. And then after you're sitting there, and how many times has this happened where you observe what happened to yourself where you went, I fucking knew that was going to happen. Like you have this, like, like it didn't, it didn't turn out right. And you went, I knew I shouldn't have worn that. I knew I yeah. should have, you know? And so, uh, I have figured out, you know, and I, and I said this, I said this earlier, uh, that if this weren't my company that, and I wanted to teach self-defense and a different way to look at life, this is the company I'd work for. Why? Because it's made up of all of these things that are so organic and pure. And when you have the realization, you know, it's, it's like, oh my God, like I, that was right there. And it's that cliche of, of like, again, you know, self-actualization is realizing that that was in you the whole time. And so what's in us as human weapons are instincts, intuition. What's in us is the start of flinch, which is a, a, a DNA level response to danger. Uh, uh, you know, the fear spike to signal, like we got to get ready and that adrenaline dump. I mean, these are, you know, and I've been saying this since the eighties, we are human weapons, right? And what we've been through society, we've been domesticated to believe that the cavalry will rush in, that's someone else. And and so we just put this whole thing together. Now, in the last, so I've been doing stuff since like force on force scenarios since the 80s. And and um, the, so we rewrote the whole book on how people do scenarios. We designed equipment that was, that's been bought by the, you know, the, the government to train military and all sorts of, of, of crazy stuff. And we were talking about, you know, haters and unconscious bias and stuff. And what I discovered in it, it and it's, and it's fascinating to me because as a more of a philosopher than a gym teacher is, is I'm like, how do I, what do I need to write or say to get people to realize that I just trying to make people safer? And I don't care whether you do jujitsu or box or MMA or, or Taekwondo. I just want you to be safer. And I want you to recognize that the, the art and style that you're practicing is creating neural patterns that are going to predispose you at an unconscious level to move a certain way. Again, so if, uh, all, if all you know is is had a ground fight and something starts to happen, you unconsciously are predisposed to try and go to the ground where the safest thing might have been run, right, <laughs> like, you know, right, like, right. right? And, I, and I had uh, um, he's still a friend to, to this day. Uh, he's, our, he's actually our, my insurance, my life insurance salesman. Um, um, but he, I met him, he came to a seminar I was doing in Montreal in like 1986, 87. And I'd set up, I said, okay, the fight's gonna happen down here. And as soon as you can break contact, you got a 20 foot run to where our juice bar registration was. That represents safe haven. If you get to the bar and you tap it, you're, you're, you're scot-free. And I said, I want you to be thinking, but look at the setup, right? Like, I don't want you to be thinking you got to arm bar the guy or kick him in the head. As soon as you can break contact, you get to safety. Like I was, that's how I was always thinking. And this guy, Larry puts up his hand. He says, oh, with all due respect, Mr. Blauer, I think we all know how to run. We came here to learn how to fight. And, and, uh, I looked at him. I said, Larry, the fact that you actually are saying that means 
you don't know how to run in a fight. You're confusing the left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, like running in a race, but your ego and pride will keep you in the fight, which is maybe why you get stabbed or murdered or or disfigured or whatever. Right. And you know, then that became like moving forward for decades, don't let ego or pride dictate your next strategy. So to answer your question, special operations, I'm doing this uh, tier one group. We're creating a, a scenario where a role player gets a muzzle strike in the chest with a training weapon. And then the role player, uh, you know, falls back into the wall, doubles over, and then shoots in for a tackle. The, that tackle would put the the the, the uh, training long gun out of position. And what we were training people to do is, oh shit, that would be like a oh shit, he's coming off the turnbuckle, startle flinch. Your fingers would splay. You would you would release your long gun, jam your forearm into the person to like to stop check them, and then transition to your pistol. And it's a very fast movement; takes like a half a second to do. And there was one guy in the in the course who was a world class jujitsu guy. And every time the guy went to tackle him, he would do a guillotine, which is for people who can't see this. It's it's a classic grappling move. Like someone goes to tackle you, their head comes to one side of your body, and you wrap their neck, and you can turn that into a a choke or a strangle and and control them. In the context of a scenario where if you were like in a gunfight with other like a SWAT team, like grabbing onto somebody's neck takes both of your hands out of commission so now you can't transition to your weapon you can't cover what's called an opposing threat or protect your buddy you've now forced yourself into a sport uh, uh choice and it's just an unsafe thing to do when you're possibly in a gunfight makes sense yeah. right yeah and so this guy every time that would happen he the, you know the muzzle strike would happen his role player would go back great role playing he's wearing our high gear suits you know and and so everything's happening real speed real fast real violence Boom, he comes in and he would, the guy would go to tackle him and you'd see him wrap the head, do the, the jujitsu guillotine, crank the guy a little bit, then release it, sweep around and then transition. So he's adding like a second and a half and two and a half moves to this transition. Which is, could be deadly in that situation. Which, yeah, I mean, if there was other shit happening and multiple yeah. assailants, like in the context of a, you know, even though there was, there was a, a, a simulated violence going on and there was a little bit of risk, it, there wasn't really any real risk for these guys. And um, I would stop him and go, hey, don't do the guillotine. I know you're really good at it, but don't do that. I want you to just like, just jam the forearm in. Like, like when, when we weaponize the startle flinch, your forearm becomes like this like tactical crowbar, right? You can just, it's just there, just slam it in there. And uh, he goes like, yeah, yeah, good, I got it. And then he would do it again. And, then, and I, I remember, you know, elbowing my, my assistant trainer going, what is with this guy? Why does he keep doing that? And so my mind was... He's just trying to slip in jujitsu. And then it occurred to me, and I'd been reading the talent code at the time, and uh, in it was talking about myelinization, neurotransmitters, and how when you practice certain things in stress, that becomes what people confuse as muscle memory, because there is a such thing as muscle memory. There's no real, muscles don't have memory. But what you have is neural programming. And he wasn't even really aware. So he didn't. So I'd, suddenly I had my own epiphany where I realized he wasn't trying to do the drill differently. He didn't know that he was doing that. And when he caught himself doing that, he made the correction and made the adjustment. Yeah. And I was like, what a relief that was for me. But this comes back to, you know, it, this wasn't like an ego pride thing. This was neural programming interfering with a transition. And, and that's when we, when we talk about that's So that's my big quest is to get the world to understand that practicing 
for self-defense to deal with a violent encounter is emotionally and psychologically very different than practicing a martial art or a combat sport. Yeah. And you know where, where, where my mind goes when I'm, I'm thinking of like anybody who's listening and hopefully you're, you're into it on a self-defense, you know, just for what it is. But then I'm even thinking of like where that applies to, um, to your life in other areas of, I remember Tony Robbins talking about incantations and the, and the gist of it was it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, your wife's like, uh, you know, where's, where's the, the salt. And you're like, there is no salt. There's no salt. There's no salt. You open the pantry. I'm telling you, there's no salt. There's no salt. There's no salt. And you're saying it over and over again. You come back, wife comes in the room. She's like, where's the salt? There's no salt. She goes, opens it up. And she's like, it's right there, you know? And by saying it over and over and over again, you're blind to it. You create this blinder. Right. And it that's like what it reminds me of. But whatever it is that you are involved in, the, the, the thing that I find fascinating about that story is that I always think with that salt example, it's like that's a negative thing. You know, you're going, I can't find it. I can't, there's no salt, there's no salt. It's like you're you're not believing that there's something there. In your case, you're going, even something that's like, the entire world would be like, oh, it's great to be a world-class jujitsu, uh, you know, that that level, that would be so great for your self-preservation. Even that, which is this incredible thing, could put you in harm's way. So it's, it's just like a check for all what? of us to just kind of go, what are we doing? And what are the things that we're so invested in that everybody thinks is so cool that we're doing it? And is it helping you? Maybe in 99% of the, the things you're doing, it's helping you, but maybe there's that 1% where it's actually holding you back. It, it's, it's really, is a great observation, but it's really about the difference between effectiveness and efficiency. And if we say effectiveness is getting the right job done and efficiency is getting the job done right. If we were looking at like, you know, you're editing a, a movie or a scene, you're looking for the, a, a blend of efficiency and effectiveness. You know, uh, it's it's the uh, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd said, music's the space between the notes, right? We, we don't, I don't need extra moves there. I need, I got a problem and I need this solved really, really, really quickly, right? And, and so we don't want a longer violent confrontation. We want as short as possible. So we've broken it down into what we call the three Ds, detect, defuse, defend. If all the time you practice how to get out of a headlock, you will have zero situational awareness. You don't have any verbal de-escalation skills. All you know is when he gets me in a headlock, I know this move. And what that does is that, is that it trains your brain, again, the neural uh, uh, patterning aspect of it, the reticular cortex, all of that stuff only knows what to do when you get in a headlock. And so I can look at uh, videos of real violent encounters where people are going, how come we didn't do this move? And how come we didn't do that move? And why did this get so chaotic? And how come it got so violent and out of control? I go, because you're not stress inoculating the emotional, psychological part of the confrontation. Nobody's looking at the big picture. And, and it, you know, it's it's, I keep coming back to like these acting metaphors and examples where, you know, you can memorize a line, but if you don't really know like who the actor is in the story and why he's saying that, then you're, you know, the inflection could be completely different, even though you memorize the line. 
You totally. know, no, pe- yeah. People yeah. ask all the time, how, it's got to be hard to memorize your lines. And I'm like, well, if you're memorizing your lines, that's not good. You, you, you'd have to know who you're talking to, what the situation is, what you need, you know, who right. the person and, is. And so, and so that is when, when, you know, when we do our self-defense, we always say, what's the scenario, which is the same as what's the story. So it's, yeah. it's understanding that. And who are you in the story? What, you know, are you uh, an extra or you're the hero in your story? Like, like what's going to happen? Because if this violent encounter plays out all the way and the serial killer goes, well, you know, actually like I'm the star of this. Cause it's, you know, I'm a, this is my career. Right. And, and you go, well, I guess I'm just a, a an extra in your friggin' horror movie. You know, I always, I always make this, it's not really a joke, but I tell people, Hey, don't be an accomplice to (laughs) your crime scene. Like, and that means like, what am I doing that's allowing this to happen? And this is, I'm not talking about like, like foo-foo, weird, like uh, I attracted this file. No, I'm talking about, you know. In the actual scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 that's something I really loved is that, you know, you are, you know, I would think most people would, if they're going to put you in a category, they'd be like, okay, Tony Blower is a tough guy. And yet the thing that you said that I loved was you were like, the, I, I'll I'll misquote it, but it was something like you know the best kind of. It's just like avoid the whole thing, you right. know, walk away. If yeah. you can, if you have any chance to walk away from violence, walk away. It 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 takes courage, and this is again, this is this is uh, you know, the reframe and 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 the the evolution, the realization that we try to invoke in the classes, uh, in, in all the training is that I talk about is the, it's, it's under the, the section we call the economics of violence, that no matter how much money you have, no matter how much spiritual or psychological wealth you have, you can't afford to be attacked. It changes everything. You know, if something happened today where your car gets stolen or, uh, you know, prize possession or a family member, your dog gets stolen, like, like that screws up your life. And even if you get that back a day later, it screws up your life. Now you're, you're paranoid, you know, and, you know, about where you live or, you know, who was there and who saw this. And so teaching people how to avoid everything at all costs. And this isn't about like, oh my God, I changed my whole life. We do most of this when we're driving. We do most of this when we're, you know, you're out at the park with your kid or you're, you know, like everyone applies the philosophical principles of self-defense to most other aspects of their life without even realizing it. The only place they don't apply the principles of self-defense are to actually self-defense, which is, which is somewhat ironic. But, um, I, uh, I try to always give people like, like simple examples, because nothing breeds success, like success itself. Like, hey, try this, do this. You want to improve your situational awareness? I want you to spend an hour today, go sit at Starbucks and look at people and go, don't do this, but just visualize who whose pocket could I pick? Whose laptop could I steal? Whose phone could I like? Because that's what the opportunistic predators are looking at. They're actively actually doing that there was a um, that's a great exercise yeah yeah think about um because because, you know who who would i you know so if i was if i was um walking by you on the street before we first met and i could hear the volume of your podcast or the music you're listening to and you were like down on your phone texting here like that and you would like just put down uh your briefcase 
right? And turn to answer a task, a, a text, could I grab your, so I, like I do that so that what that's doing, remember when I started talking about the reticular cortex, I said, hey, the, I, I now decide I want to buy this particular car. And the next day I start noticing that car all over the place. Yeah. So you can do the same thing with self-awareness and situational awareness by saying these things, these things are important for me to look out for or not do. Well, how do I learn about it? You know, so that's a, that's a good, you know, people, I get asked it all the time. Like, how do I improve my situational awareness? Yeah. You know, that's an And, and then again, like, yeah, like you're saying in self-defense for your preservation of your, your being. And also, like you said, in, in business or in relationships, how do you, you know, this applies to it's everything. Everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because, you know, my whole company is built around this thought, but, you know, that the, the, when I was 20, I got asked what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to make the world safer. And like, that was my whole thing is I didn't, I didn't go, you know, I want to make boxers safer. I want to make Taekwondo guys. It was, I want to make people safer. And, and so that became, that was my mantra the whole time. And so I've always been looking for what are easy things I can teach people? What are, what are simple things? What are things that, that don't require sustainment once you learn them? And, and so, you know, we created this Be Your Own Bodyguard course, which is like a one-day course. If you ask somebody who's involved in martial arts, can you learn how to defend yourself in a day? Their answer will be absolutely not. That's bullshit. But if you ask a firefighter, EMS, or a doctor, can you learn uh, CPR and some first aid in a day, they'll go, of course, yeah, there's courses going on all the time. You know, it's a four hour course, six hour course. You can acquire skills to save somebody else's life in six hours, but you still don't have skills to save your own life. And yeah. so we created a program using, using all this stuff that is taught with the same uh, uh, essence and, and goal as a, as a tactical first aid CPR course. Well, this is what I was thinking. And I want to get into a little bit of your, your background, your background story and origin story for this. But, uh, I was thinking, and, and this will be, you know, it feels like I'm, I'm selling Tony's program, but please do. When I had, <laughs> when I, when I got to experience it the other day through Jay Faruja, I thought, man, I should gather a bunch of people in my town and go, hey, everybody throw in some money, have Tony come and do, and really anybody listening, like if you're, if you're in your town and you think like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm this, you know, it's a nice town. I mean, I know around here, it's like there, there have been break-ins all over the place and it's a, it's a beautiful town. It's like, there's break-ins all the time. People are worried about it. And, and, and it's like, you know, everybody chip in, have you come in six hours and why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? You and, know? And, and it's funny, it, it, it'll happen or it won't happen. And I don't care. Fortunately, I'm, I'm, you know, the joke, oh, I'm an actor, really what restaurant you work at, you know, yeah. that like, fortunately, we're, we're, we're very, very busy. Um, but, but that's what we do. I've got a whole team that, yeah. that, that does stuff all over the world for me and with me. Um, but who will follow through on that is is like, are you the flight attendant in the original story, right? Because most people, when they find out what I do, they don't show up to the course because it's almost like, like doing your will and doing life insurance. It's like to do it properly, you have to consider that bad shit's going to happen one day, right? And, and so I think most people avoid self-defense because... 
they don't want to even deal with that scenario in their mind, the possibility of yeah. it, you know? And, and it's unfortunate because it's, you know, again, it, you know, if you think that you got to train for 10 years and you got to go fight every week and you got to do that stuff, I think that's, that's a valuable reframe that, that what we're, what we're really showing people is how to choose safety. That's our big mantra. You know, what, what is this, what does it mean to choose safety? What is it? In other words, you know, you know, should I lock the door? Should I not lock the door? Should I go down this weird, creepy street? Or should I go the long way home? It's like, well, what's the, given who you are with the, the tools you have right now, what is the safest thing that you could do? And if you ask yourself that in business, in life, in, you know, and people talk, they gossip about this stuff. I mean, I, in 2010, I, I lost control of and had to dissolve a $12 million company because I had a morally and ethically corrupt COO who did a deal with my partner behind my back. And I went from like being the CEO of a $12 million company on Friday to hiring lawyers on Monday and dissolving the company shortly after. And how did it possibly happen? Because I didn't use detect, defuse, defend the skills that I've been teaching for decades to fighters cops, military, citizens, civilians. I didn't apply them to myself. When I saw some signs of weirdness in my business, I would say something to Jess. I would talk. I go, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't screw me. Must be. And cognitive dissonance, and this is what happens to every victim of violence, can't be happening. I must be misreading this. And so you're 100% right. And I, and I share that. I don't have to do that. I, I do business talks about this where how could one of the pioneers of modern self-defense not apply the the research that he's developed to himself in you know business and i didn't you know and it was and uh, and i lost I, you know i lost everything it's but a fact he rebuilt everything <laughs> but he got he, everything back yeah Jess is thank here you saying he rebuilt yeah. it and got it back you know so no mic for you we got to get you a mic I know. <laughs> but it but it's it's you know, and I, and I share that, that, and I haven't shared that, you know, very much in a, a couple of talks, I, I loosely get into it. And it's a reminder that like, we're just human. And yeah. that if you don't understand, um, you know, remember when I got the, uh, the proposal before I moved to the States, my Canadian lawyer said, he highlighted one line and he said, you could lose everything because of this line. I said, well, the name of the company is Blower Tactical and I'm the brainchild of everything and the gear is mine and the system is mine and I'm Tony Blower and I've been in Forbes magazine and I've been on Blackwell magazine and like, why would they want Blower Tactical? And he said, I'm your lawyer. I'm just telling you that this line legally is a problem. And I was, I was working so hard to make this deal happen that I was, I can say I was afraid to pause everything and say, I need this line change because I thought it might kill the deal. Because we had done so and many, and that was the thing that happened. And that and that turned out to be the line that had that line not been there, I wouldn't have lost the company. But had I not lost the company, I wouldn't be living out here, and I wouldn't be talking to you. And that's and then that takes us full circle to ten thousand no's. Because as it's funny, as we've been talking, I'm like I'm fascinated by all of this, and I also have another track in my mind going. Are people listening? Going like, well, yeah, but at, where's the ten thousand no's? Where's the, and and I want to get into. I, I think it all applies right. to all of this, but that right there crystallizes all of it, which is, you know. That was a big no, and yet it leads you to where you are right now in your life, which I, I from from where I'm sitting, it seems like you're in a, a spot that that 
seems fulfilled. Like you, you seem like you are doing your life's work in the way that you want to do it. I'm sure there are issues of, you know, this and that there, there are, I'm sure it's not perfect, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's part of the deal. And, and, you know, but we will wrap it up, but, uh, you know, unfortunately we won't go fully into the origin story, but I'm just thinking as, as we're going, like, what, what was it? This is what you do. And it sounds like if you said you've been doing this, I was doing the math before. When you were 15, you were coaching people already? It's 17 so, is when I started 17? teaching. 17? Yeah. Okay. So so it, you found it early, but was there something in your childhood or was it just in your DNA? Like you said you had the fantasies of like, maybe I'll get jumped even though you weren't in a bad right. neighborhood. Like, what do you think it was that that brought you to this work? You know... I, you know, the answer is, 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 uh, cartoony and goofy and esoteric. And, and, you know, when I was, uh, in 1973, Bruce Lee passed away and I was 13. I discovered martial arts and was a fanatic, like, like most of the world. And, you know, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, I'm sitting on the floor. I'm trying to get the splits. I'm stretching and I'm looking at magazines, Bruce Lee magazines. And my mom comes over and she says, Hey, you know, you're, 15, you're going to go to college soon. Like you're going to go into your father's business. You want to be a lawyer or doctor. I had three choices, right? Lawyer, doctor, or, and I looked up at her and I said, oh, mom, I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I'm going to develop my own self-defense system. And she looked at me, pat me on the top of my head and said, okay, dear, we'll talk about this when you're a bit older. And, uh, I make a joke. Cause I, you know, like just talking to her like a month ago, she goes, I still don't know what you do, you know, you know, and it was like, you know, she does, but she doesn't. And, and I've never approached this like a job. I just knew. And I, so my answer to you is like, is this is just what I was going to do. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like a, you know, story where I was, you know, studying to be an accountant and uh, right. a and bad guy came in and, yeah. and killed everybody in the office. And but what was it before that? So, so like there was something like, what do you think it was if you could kind of psychoanalyze yourself about Bruce Lee like, because I was just, I remember loving Enter the Dragon and, right. and, you know, I got to them later. I got to them probably in the eighties before I was watching those movies. But, um, but what, what was it about him? Was it the fluidity? Was it the, the fact that he could have 20 guys around him and, and dismantle them? What, I think what that was, that it, was the know? fantasy stuff. Cause I was into, you know, I grew up in the sixties and so I was watching like Mannix and, and, uh, um, uh, Streets of San Francisco. I don't know if you remember any of these shows. Like they're like was that Michael early... Douglas, a young Michael Douglas? In yeah, of San Francisco? yeah. I, I and, haven't seen it. Actually, and uh, but, but they were like they were like cop action cliche yeah. dragnet and and but but you know one of the big ones in the '60s was the Green Hornet with Bruce Lee. Anything that had uh, you know the original with um, uh, oh my god uh, the original Wild Wild West with Robert Conrad. You know, amazing. And, you know, here's an interesting thing just to throw in there. So Robert Conrad was like like this, like hero in in one growing up because he got in a fight on every episode and he was a semi-pro boxer. I mean, he, was, he had a legit boxing skill. So he could, he was a stuntman who became an actor because of a, a, an injury or a sickness on the set where where his story was like he was just part of the stunt crew yeah. and the actor didn't show or something, and but he knew all the guy's lines and boom, you know? So so that's that his moment, right? Right. 
but his love of boxing, he blended that into the way. And so he, he didn't look like Frank Sinatra in the Manchurian Candidate, like trying to do a, a chop to the neck, right? Like it wasn't like goofy where, you know, so I would look at that and go, oh my God. And, and so there was something in this hero behavior, but it was very much associated with something combative and martial. And it was always a good guy and a bad guy. Like I wasn't attracted to villains. I was attracted to the hero. Um, it, it, there was just this unconscious connection because of the fear. Like, like I can remember like walking around, even in my house, I'd walk out of my room and I wasn't scared. It was like, what would I do if there was somebody on the other side of the wall there that jumped out of my mom's room? I don't know. I have no idea why I would think those things. And I do it like I'm, I'm 58. Yeah. I, I still do that shit. Yeah. I'll walk out your door, but I don't, and I need people listening to this. Like, like I look at it as cute and funny. I, you know, I, I look like, like it, it's almost like if I said to you, like, why do you look over your shoulder and check your rear view mirror before you switch lanes? Like, why wouldn't you? Like, that's yeah. the safe thing to do. Yeah. Right. I just did it in other places that other people don't think to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and then was able to reverse engineer that and turn that into a system. But your it. parents had nothing like your dad's, the business, you said there was a family business. Was yeah. It was, it was, a, no, no, it was, uh, um, uh, he was a hitman and, uh, <laughs> and a spy. No, um, it was, uh, no, he was in a, uh, uh, ladies, uh, clothing manufacturing import, Okay, you know, but, um, it, you know, it, it was, it was funny. I mean, I look, I look at all of the stuff, as, you know, the three heroes that I had, you know, in 76 when Rocky came out. I mean, I watched Rocky 1, you know, like 10 times, just blown away by Such it, right? Such a great movie. But where, you, you know, you might look at it like as like that was an amazing script. And what are the, you know, where I was there, uh, you know, going like... I was this. I was the kid going. I need to learn how to fight. I need to. I need to win. Yeah. I need to. You know. And and it was uh, to me. It was how do how do I manifest the courage to face life? And this is what I'm gonna. This is what I'm gonna do. And when I got asked by a venture capitalist in 1980, and I didn't even know. I remember I was I was teaching this guy uh, uh, Ricky Dabrowski. He was a big real estate mogul in Montreal, and um, I was teaching his his kid privately. And he said to me, hey, kid, you got the X factor. And I said, what's, what's the X factor? He said, well, you just, he says, I've taken martial arts. I've done stuff. You teach differently. You really try to connect. You're really, you're, and, and so you got something going on. I want to introduce you to a buddy of mine. He's a VC. I'm like, what's a VC? It's 1980, right? So I go set up this meeting and he goes, Rick says you have the X factor. What do you want to do? How can I help you? And I said to him, I'm 20 years old. I said, I want to make the world safer. And he sits back in his chair and he goes, you want to make the world safer? He goes, you don't think that's a little grandiose? And I looked at him and I said, why would that be grandiose? I mean, like that's right. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and so here I am, you know, how many years ago? It's 40, uh, 40, no, uh, 38 years yeah. ago, 38 years ago, 30, like here we are 38 years later and I'm still every day going, how do I make the world safer? How do I rewrite this? How do I change this? We do, we do lesson plan rewrite, rewrites every fucking month. Like yeah. in my, my staff, the people on my team, the ones that I end up firing are like, what's wrong with this one? You're out of here, right? This course isn't for you. It's for a student and we're going to continue to make it better. Yeah. You all, you have, I'm, I, I have a couple of uh, questions before you leave, but um, you have a real artist's mind, even 
the the way you ask about films, the way you connect the dots, you are, in my opinion, an artist who's who's well, you're a martial artist as well. You know, you, you you're you're an artist who's who's you know, uh, clay happens to be violence. But the way you look at it, I think that's what the guy was talking about back then, saying you have a different way of teaching. It's what I got excited about the other day when I, I was able to hear you. Um, it's just a different way of, uh, it just connects in a way that I, I think, uh, and hopefully people listening uh, agree, is is much more universal and much more accessible. Appreciate that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it. So, okay. Complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? Uh, to understand K N O W. Oh, that's right. You, that's, that's your, one of your companies, right? No fear. Yeah. 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 So the, the big thing we're doing and, you know, part of the evolution now is I realized that that in peeling everybody's onion, whether it was a, a, the SWAT cop or or the mom who just who's a single mom and she wants to know how to protect her her kid because she lives in a shitty area, is it all comes down to at one point. And that's a, an amazing thing. Is I could literally have a seminar where I've got that single mom in the front row and like a twenty year twenty year veteran cop there, and I can teach and they're both absorbing stuff. Um, the the no fear, K-N-O-W, fear is everything. That the more we know fear and understand the psychological mechanisms and how it how it hijacks our thoughts, right? If I asked you, you know, um, what what is the opposite of of uh, you know uh, fear and panic and and that you know what, what word comes to mind? Calm, relaxation. If if uh, if looseness. Okay, uh, and and so if if I'm if I say to somebody, this person is extremely fearful. Yeah. And and they're they're frozen. You know, the opposite of that would be movement. Okay. Uh, and 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 I'm looking for. I'm trying to. Flow. Yeah. And and those are those are all appropriate words. I'm kind of, I'm kind of screwing this up here because I, I do it a whiteboard and it's different when, when it's visual, but, but the, the, you know, for the very often what I'll do is I'll write, I'll write the word, uh, courage on a whiteboard and I'm trying to figure out a way to do this here. And I write the word courage and, and I'll, and I'll say, Hey, what is the opposite of courage? And people will say fear or they'll, and I was trying to do it in a different way here because yeah. we're, because there's, there's no visual. So I write the word, so you guys try to visualize this. I'm standing in front of a whiteboard. I got the word courage written there and I go, what is the opposite of courage? And people yell out fear, panic, you know, hesitation, doubt. And, and I turn around, so I'm blocking the word courage and I write the letters D-I-S hyphen. And I step away and visualize that. What does that say now? Discourage. Discourage. So we all know what the courageous thing to do is in life. We go, my, why doesn't somebody stop that guy? He's grabbed her purse. Why doesn't somebody punch that guy in the face? Why doesn't, why, why don't I say this to my wife now? Why don't I say this to my kids? Why don't I say this to my, I think my business partners are screwing me, but no, I'll use, I'll allow cognitive dissonance to fucking control thing instead of finding a way to manifest courage. So when we put the letters DIS in front of the word courage, it, what it implies to me is that we are discouraging ourselves from doing the right thing because you can't have that internal discouragement if you didn't first see what, what the courageous act was going to be 
or choice was going to be. And when I loop that back and I go, well, what is that? That's fear. And so my whole thing in the biggest thing that I'm doing now, if you said, Hey, you got two choices. You can only do lectures on understanding fear, the psychology of fear, or teach physical self-defense. I pick fear because I believe that if I can whisper in your ear, you will fight. And here's why that I don't need to teach you how. You got to get, because that comes back to what I said earlier, right? That every victim of violence who did survive the attack, it was a mindset shift. I don't want to die. It wasn't a technique. It wasn't a style. It was them saying, I'm not going to be a helpless victim. Yeah. And so, so that, that whole thing, the biggest and most important stuff here is that reframing this idea of no fear, like NO, like the, the adrenaline company that doesn't exist. There's always going to be a stimulus in life that, that you didn't anticipate that gives you a fear spike. And if you think about the fear spike for a moment, you hesitated. And if you think about the hesitation for a moment, you have doubt. And if you have doubt and hesitation, you're starting a, a, a psychological cocktail for possible anxiety. And now you're not doing shit about that. And if, and, and you see this in every aspect of life. Why are we waiting? Yeah. Cause we're overthinking. Why are we overthinking? Cause we have fear. <laughs> totally. So what's your, the, the follow-up question, what's your go-to mantra when things start falling apart? If you have one. Fuck fear. And, and, and that offends a lot of people, but fuck is an acronym. It's face it, understand it, control it, know it. I like that. Face it, understand, understand it. it, control it, know it. Yeah. So, so suddenly something happens, the stimulus gets introduced too quickly in your life. It could be anything, medical, relationship, financial, violence. It's stimulus gets introduced too quickly. It will create a, your brain will go startle. Your body will go flinch. And you know, that's just a metaphor right now. Uh, so, you know, think about this, you get a, like an email that makes you freak out. You open it up and you're like, oh my God, what's the first thing you do? Like you get a fear spike, your heart starts to race, you get an adrenaline dump. It's the exact same physiological changes if you thought you're being followed, right? Hmm. But it's a different timeline because it's an email. But so now I can delete it, but it's still there, right? I can hide behind a tree, but the problem's still there. I need to face the danger. In facing the, un- the danger, I begin to understand it. Now I start to, I got to run programs. What should I do? Am I going to escape? Am I grabbing an improvised weapon? Am I going to barricade? Am I moving towards a threat? Those same decisions are things you would do in business. If I said to you, hey, you, this is a rule. It's way outside your comfort zone. You're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can I pull this off. Can I do, you would go through that same thing. Yeah. And when you face it, you begin to create strategies to understand it. And then the day of the audition or the day of the shoot or the day of, okay, I'm going to palm strike this guy in the face. That's confronting it. And it doesn't mean, and this is very important for people listening, when you confront it and control it, and so we get doubling up on the C there, it doesn't mean you've eliminated fear. There's lots of things we do in life where we have fear, right? It's, it's, it's semantics where we still have our adrenaline, we still have some anxiousness to it. And then the final K, know it, doesn't mean we're above or beyond it, right? You know, I, I'm never happy about going to the dentist, right? Right. But I face my fear. I face it. I understand it. I control it. I go in there and now I know it a little bit better. Yeah. And it's just another rep. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Oh, my goodness. So, I, I, like, and this is. Um, this is probably the most lame answer 
because you get that with lots of people where, um, you know, I wouldn't change anything because it wouldn't, I would not be here with you now, Maddie. But the truth of the matter is this, I told this to, to, to Jess after, you know, we had a home invasion in 2010. I was out of the house, uh, guys with guns, no masks in the house with my kids, with my wife, uh, a month, a month after that. And this is where I wanted to attest to the system and the, the profoundness of what Tony teaches. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Um, we, we, I didn't grow up with martial arts. I didn't grow up learning self-defense. I wasn't fascinated with it. I didn't even watch movies about it. And Tony was not home when we had the home invasion. I was home with my three kids, my son and my two girls, 17, nine and six. And we all knew exactly what to do because of how we absorbed everything that Tony teaches. And it wasn't going to a karate stance. I'm not bashing the karate or anything other others, any other styles like that. It's that we all knew to stay calm and how to work together, even though we weren't speaking to each other and handle the situation the way it needed to be handled. And it's just insane to me and the irony of it, of it happening to us and of how we all managed it and handled it based on everything that, again, we've absorbed from just being around Tony. I mean, not even like attending every single seminar and participating in it, just from learning the skills that he teaches to anybody, just to be aware and know what to do and how we how we all stayed calm. My son grabbed the girls and went and hid in the closet. My son called the cops um, who weren't there for, you know, six or seven minutes. I wasn't screaming and flailing like a crazy woman, Um, you know, and we all had like they were loaded guns in our face with four guys in the house. It wasn't. So they knew you were there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I answered the door. They rang the doorbell. Oh, my God. They rang the doorbell. And uh, just I had so many things running through my mind listening to Tony talking and just, you know, wanting to tell everybody that it's martial arts has its place for discipline, for skills, for uh, for whatever reason you want to learn or send your kids to, to martial arts. What Tony's teaching is something so different, so so much more important on a fundamental life level um, that I don't even think people understand it. Like people, it's so simple to just be safer and, and you don't need to go to school for 20 years to do this. It's, it's insane to me and I could go on and on, but I won't. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And you were going to go shopping. See, yeah. we wouldn't have gotten that. I mean, this, I just want to give a, a little That's amazing for you because one of the things you did at the presentation the other day was ask why, you know, what is something that you would fight to the death for? Even if people say they're pacifists, but they would, you say there's right. no, there's no pacifist because you would fight to the death. You would claw someone's eyes out to protect a loved one. And a lot of us said our wife and kids and the fact, I did not know that that happened. That's the first time I'm hearing of it. The fact that it happened 
to your family mm-hmm. and you weren't there and, then and they are alive to talk about it has got to make you feel incredibly proud and grateful. And, and like, it, that's amazing to me that that happened. And that's amazing that you There's withstood it. And I hope the guys were caught, but I don't know. They, they were, were, they were, were awesome. Were. I have to go testify against them. You, you know, it's amazing is we had a, a course, I had a, a, a massive training facility in Virginia where this happened. And we had a course, we had about 40 uh, SWAT cops and other people in. And I walked into the, the seminar and I said, you're not going to believe what happened yesterday. So here I am, like, you know, one of the world's leading combatives, defensive tactics trainers. We had a home invasion and I wasn't there. And, and, uh, and like everyone in the room, like, these are all like guys, like with guns, right? right like right, they're right. like, Holy, and, and I said, what do you guys think about this? And the room was literally split. They were stunned but half of them said, those guys are lucky you weren't home. And I said, really? I said, look at me. And you guys, you guys can't see me. If you're going to put up, put up a cool picture of me. when you something, so <laughs> Yeah, I'll look there like will a, be cool pictures. Right? Um, but I said, if I was, if my wife had answered the door like she did and guys came in and I know if somebody's in my house without making any effort to conceal their identity, that that's a bad pre-contact cue, right? You want somebody to be thinking about protecting their identity at gunpoint. Meaning they didn't have masks on. Right. How did they, yeah. And so, but my point is like, if if I stood up really quick and Matt, you can describe me, like my face, my tattoos, my physique. If I stood up really quick because my wife answered the door and I hear guys coming in with guns and I stood there and you had a gun in your hand, what would you do with that gun? You'd probably shoot me right at a distance, and and I I so the fact that I teach people how to do gun takeaways and all of that, like I'm not cavalier about this. Where what I had to reconcile as 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 a man, as a provider, as a combatives guy, that I wasn't there, that my family is safe, and and then to recognize and what I said to all these guys when I said like, what do you guys think? And the, uh, half of them said, man, those guys, you're lucky you weren't there. I said, well, had I been there. One of them would be dead and maybe I'd be dead because there were like, you know, a couple of guys with weapons. Yeah. And and if I'm fighting one guy and they didn't just, they weren't all hanging out right in the front, right? One rang the doorbell and the other was hidden off to the side. Right. Which means had I answered the door and the gun came up in my face, I'd have gone right into something and done something. But while I'm fighting this guy, does the other guy come up behind me and shoot me in the back, back of the head? Right. In other words, the fact that I wasn't there. Diffused it. Yeah, it, in it, some way. it changed the scope changed and level yeah. of violence that could have happened. And that's a hard, you know, that's a hard thing to just sit back and, and just trust the universe and let the universe unfold. And then like anything else. So to answer your question, we went off on a crazy tangent, but, you know, what would you change? What would you, you know, you know, would it be, hey, uh, on uh, 2010, you're going to have a home invasion. So make sure nobody's home. Right. Like, like you can't change that shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I uh, uh, had a neck injury a year ago that was uh, was caused by a massage therapist who wasn't watching my breathing, was stretching my neck and it damaged my trigeminal nerve, my facial nerve. And, and I'm still healing uh, from it. 
And I've had people say, oh, you should have sued him. You should have do that. I said, look, I've had a neck injury since 1986. I got kicked in the head teaching a student. I've injured it numerous times. I've had zillions of concussions and all my fighting and all that stuff. If I stop doing that, I don't arrive at the no fear metaphor. I don't have all of it. I'm, I'm a completely different person. You know, you know, would I, would I have breathed differently and all that? Well, guess what? Like I was on a, on a collision course with overwork and, and intensity that this introduced me to meditation and breathing and changed a lot of what I teach and, and the pace that I work at because of that injury. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the cliche of the cliches. It's not what happens. It's how you react to what happens. So you know. So basically, I he's avoiding. So basically, he's avoiding my question, but he can do that because he's <laughs> right. better at combatives than I. Am. Right. So, so, but if I could tell myself something, it would be. It's like I do with my kids now. Like I've in the last couple of years, especially since the injury, like I've had so much more profound wisdom and understanding where I'll, I'll message them like things going, I know you probably think I'm insane, but please try to understand this. Because if I had understood this when I was 15 or 20 or 25, some of my, my anger at life of why things are unfair and all of that stuff, I'd have looked at them differently. Like what? Like what was this? Something like a, it was, it was, yeah, no, yeah. But it was more of the, the, not trusting that y- you will you will arrive at the understanding of what you're trying to understand when you're ready to understand it. Yeah. Right. And so, I like, in my twenties, I wrote this down. I wrote to think without the interference of thought is thoughtful thinking. And it was me trying to be clever, but it was really pristine. Right. Yeah. It's like, can you just observe things? Can you just look at that and go, oh? So now, like when, when, you know, I, I'm working on some big, big projects and at the same time I'm doing that, I go, I don't care if this happens or not. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. That's how I you know, approach auditions and, and, you know, you have to be engaged with it because you want to you, get it. You, you want it. prepared, but then it can't you also you. have to go, yeah. as soon as you walk out, you have to go like, oh, I don't care. And, right. and sometimes you're lying to yourself and right. so, but that's the job. And, and that's, but that's the self-awareness. And that's the big thing is like, if you want to improve your, 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 the, the safety in your life, and I'm talking about business relationships, violence, is you need to improve self-awareness because situational awareness is intrinsically connected to self-awareness. So when when that shit was going down where I lost my company, my self-awareness was so distorted because I could see what was going on, but I allowed fear to you know, influence me to not do what I should have done. Mm-hmm. Well... Listen, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, I will, I'm promising you, I'm going to Photoshop your head onto Bruce Lee's body. Right, nice. <laughs> appreciate that. Up. No, uh, I really, I really appreciate you making the trip here to sit down with me. I'm really thankful that I got to sit in and, and experience some of it firsthand the other day. Um, Jess, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, Tony Blower, thank you, man. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, I hope you all agree with the potential effects of what you just heard on your life and you all come away from this conversation with a new system of awareness for your own safety. For now, here are my top three takeaways from today's conversation. 
Number one, Tony said that self-defense is a way of life and explained why people need to think about it more carefully. At one point, he said, I'm a life extension insurance salesman. And yet so many of us think of this only in the realm of some kind of exercise class. We'll think, well, I go to the gym, I run, I I don't want to do that. But what could that potentially cost us to not be at least somewhat prepared? As Tony said, my big quest is to get the world to understand that practicing for self-defense to deal with a violent encounter is emotionally and psychologically very different than practicing a martial art of a combat sport. Number two, don't let ego and pride dictate your next strategy. This quote of Tony's applies to every aspect of our life. How many times do you find yourself getting sucked into something, whether it be a relationship or a job that you don't really want, a challenge that ends up being more harmful to you than helpful, or even a violent confrontation because you couldn't just let it go and set your ego aside? Very important. Number three, this is something we really didn't get into in such detail during the conversation, but Tony has shared it with me since. And it has to do with 10,000 no's. When Tony came on the scene in self-defense, his ideas were mocked by the establishment. Who do you think you are, Bruce Lee? That's what they said. His family before that didn't take him seriously either. They told him his options were lawyer, doctor, or the family business. In the 80s, his accountant told him he'd never make it in this business. Uh, The resistance to his ideas continues to this day, and yet he's considered one of the best of the best. Much like my past guests, the takeaway here is if you believe in something enough, you have to be willing to suffer detractors and continue doing the work you were put on this earth to do. It could save lives. All right. I am so grateful to Tony for sharing his thoughts with us and so grateful to all of you for listening. I'm going to thank you in advance for sharing 10,000 No's with your friends if you feel like they'll benefit from hearing all these great life lessons. Any reviews you leave on iTunes help the show's visibility and we appreciate them. And if you're not subscribed yet, you should be so you don't miss any episodes when they come out every Friday. If you liked Tony's message, you may want to go back and check out one of these past episodes. 10-year veteran of the NFL, fullback Heath Evans, strength coach and transformation specialist Jay Ferrugia, who introduced me to Tony, or twice-bitten CrossFit CEO who served seven years in prison, Rob Groupie. Those are all great episodes. Next week, we go back to acting for Mother's Day with the great Melissa Ponzio, who is a motherly inspiration to a young generation of TV viewers who know her as Mama McCall from her memorable turn as the mother of Scott McCall, the lead on MTV's incredibly popular Teen Wolf series, among many other roles. Her story is awesome and inspiring of how she got to where she is now. A reminder, follow me on social media for announcements and promo videos of who's next. Those handles are at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at info at 10,000nos.com if you want to be added to our mailing list. Okay, that's it, folks. Thanks again for being here. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next Friday. 